G'day, and thanks for tuning in to the Outpost Church podcast. We this week are hosting a discipleship training week, and our focus is on prayer, and we hope that you find this encouraging. God bless you. listening in here and also um, online would be blessed and uh, just like you've been talking to us this morning that you would uh, enlighten people's hearts to the truth and the knowledge of Christ and um, yeah amen amen so I, I come to you Ruth and I come to you with a mindset and a philosophy of ministry which is based out of Ephesians 4 which says that um, people in ministry are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I'm, I'm going to assume here that the vast majority of you all here are not in what we would term as full-time ministry, but you might have a job, on a business, uni, you're, you're doing, the majority of your life is outside of the four walls of the church. Can I assume that? All right. So therefore, the Bible says that you need to be equipped for that ministry. Okay, so our hope and our prayer today is that you would be equipped for Monday morning. Okay, you with me? The cool thing about this is I have a, like a Monday to Friday job. Ruth and I um, have been in ministry in terms of church world, probably about 10 years, 8 years in Darwin, like Shane said, planning churches and running ministries, but now we run a business. And we believe that, again, like I've just said, the sacred secular divide has been abolished at the cross, that Jesus came to the earth and, and, and lived um, as with God on the earth and he was fully God and fully man, fully spiritual and he had a job and he was um, living amongst people doing real things. And so um, we've had this perspective now of now being, again, running our business, it's um, a real joy for us to be able to plant a business after planting a church and so I want to tell, tell you a quick story uh, when we shared at um, Outpost Church Camp last October I shared about um, Deb who is um, our first essentially employee right and um, so it was really actually precious Shane and the team were praying um, for her and for the business and what have you and just a quick story so it's about it was last month, it was in January. So January in our business, we essentially, we manage investors' holiday homes. And it was a really busy month. We are on the south coast in Victor. So it's like lots of um, people on holidays and it was really flat out our first summer. And I was, I was wanting to, I was in praying, I was saying, God, I want to be able to um, involve you more in this business. I want to not just be heady and, you know, tasks and things I need to do and, you can get really heady in business because you're kind of thinking practically and trying to fix problems. But God, I want to involve you in my day. So I'm waiting on God in the morning and I felt the Holy Spirit say really clearly as an impression in my heart, buy Deb flowers. And I'm like, and then see, it comes. I'm not sure if you can relate. And then there's the, the rational response. It's like, oh, it's weird. Just like, buying her flowers, you know, she's like, oh, not, oh, not to, be, to be my mom, is that a little bit weird? I'm just like, and I'm, I literally, then I got out of the word, I rationalized myself out of it, I'm like, oh, no, I'll just leave it, back to my work in my shed where I work, and it, this thought, this impression, like a feeling, came to me, I'm like, I, I need to buy Deb flowers, and I'm like, oh, and I'm like, and I got out of it again, and I'm like, no, nah, it'll just be too weird. Anyway, the third time, I'm like, man, I can't shake this thing, rang up Victor Harbour Florist, it was in the afternoon, um, the delivery time had cut off, I got some prices, and I'm like, oh, nah. And I'm literally towing and throwing, but I couldn't shake this. Literally, it was just a feeling. And anyway, so I'm like, blow it, I, 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 I have to. I prayed this morning for God to leave me, and this is not, I wouldn't think usually just to like buy my staff flowers, right? Um, I'm not that, I'm kind, but I'm not like that kind, right? And anyway, so I, I ring up the flowers, it's me again, you know, here's her address, I like, okay, well, I can't deliver it today. I have to be tomorrow. I'm like, okay, sure. The next day, I'm driving into Adelaide to meet up with some owners. And Deb rings me. And she's in a, a huge flurry. Cleaners hadn't rocked up. Like, guests had arrived. It was just a, a really 
bad day in the industry, right? Stressing, you know, just like, just like in a flurry. And I was able to help her, you know, walk through it. And I knew in that moment, this, like, all the stuff that was going on, it would be like, after a really busy period, this would be the one day, like the hardest day of the month, in the busiest time of the year. She, and I'm driving into Adelaide, right? And I'm like, and I'm, as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, the flowers. They're going to arrive tonight, right? So she gets home from like working a massive day. I'm in Adelaide. She's managing, managing stuff. All good? <laughs> and um, she gets home. like, God made me look like a genius. (laughs) It wasn't my idea. And I told her the next day, I'm like, Dave, she's like, Dave, she's like, I've never, she's like, you've got no idea. You've got no idea. I just burst into tears. And I said, Deb, and it gets even better on the phone the next day. I said, I ordered those flowers the day before. I didn't know it was going to be such a hectic day. And I said, do you know how I knew that? She was like, she was like wow. I said, how? Because I was praying for you and I felt like God wanted to da, 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 get you the flowers. God loves you, Deb. And she's like, oh, I don't know who you are, what you, but whatever your psychic powers are, it's working. <laughs> so our first employee thinks that Ruth and I are psychics. <laughs> God's got Deb's number. When you hear God's voice and you apply it, it's like there's this injection of the kingdom and then it produces life. Even practically, like from a business perspective, if I was to quantify the level of buy-in to our business that Deb has because of that act of love birthed by the Spirit, she's just like, she works so hard. She's got commitment. She's got buy-in. Why? Because there's this kingdom element which comes by walking with God. So first, I want to just, that's kind of like the introduction. When you hear God's voice for your life, whether it's family, university, whatever it is, you're injecting the kingdom into that sphere of influence. It's really important. I was talking with Alex before, like, we can't just live by the principles of the scriptures. That's great. But if you live empowered by the spirit through the scriptures, it actually, the scriptures become dynamic. There's no scripture that says, you know, in the book of whatever, verse 14, buy Deb flowers on this day. No, I know it's the voice of God because God says that love looks like something. But it's the Spirit, it's hearing God that creates the environment for the, the power of God, the love of God to manifest. So Ruth and I are going to be talking today and going on a journey together about hearing God's voice. Hearing God's voice, prayer, hearing God. It's funny, isn't it? We talk about prayer and oftentimes we think prayer is like us talking to God. But it's just as much hearing from God. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to be that friend. I'm not sure if you have that friend. It's like you go for a catch up and you just get caught up. <laughs> you know, talk, 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 and you're listening and you love it. But I don't want to be that friend to God. <laughs> You know what I mean? Have you experienced that before? Maybe you've like talk, spoken to someone who you really love. Maybe you're like a, a mentor or even a celebrity and you want to see them after the concert and you just talk or you watch someone just talk and talk and talk and it's like, they're the genius. <laughs> you should be listening to them, right? They've got all the solutions. God, God is a genius. So we want to be able to orientate you and, and us 
to be able to hear the voice of God today. I like, I really like a, a man, he's, he passed away just recently, I think it was last year, called Yongi Cho. He pastored the largest church in the world, I think it still is, in South Korea. It's a really funny story. He gets up at this massive conference he was invited to speak at, right? And, um, and the conference theme is about revival. How to see revival. They're seeing like revival in South Korea for all these years. And he's, he gets up to the, to, the, to the pulpit after this long and honoring introduction. Pastor Yongi Cho, he gets up. He said, I've been asked to speak on revival, how to see revival in your church, in your life. Revival is simple, he says. Pray and obey. Puts the microphone down. And then goes and sits down. And the pastor's like, <laughs> that's not a sermon. <laughs> it's like, we're at this conference. You need to like, you can't just say two words, pray, obey, and then leave. <laughs> he gets back up again. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So you want me to complicate it some more, do you? Like, I was like, oh my gosh. This is, that's really profound. The guy that's actually not just talking about revival, but actually salvations, power, growth, like, power, like awesome. Pray and obey. But sometimes, get this, this isn't my quote, I heard it from somewhere, I forget where. Christians, we Christians, are educated far beyond our obedience. We're educated far beyond our obedience. So the concept of prayer, the concept of hearing God, is actually super simple. But we get so knotted up. We get so heady. We, get, we can get so religious about it, right? I want you to close your eyes. I want to take you on a bit of a journey of just imagination. It's like when I read, read my kids' stories at night time, they, they close their eyes or they'll imagine. <laughs> Open your eyes for a second, one second. This is funny. I'm telling the kids these stories and, you know, I'll say like, and Xavier stretched out his hands and like Ezekiel, our son, He'll stretch out his hand because <laughs> he's like, he's imagining the story and he's actually like doing the things. Anyway, so what I'm trying to say is imagine this with me, right? In, in your mind. Now you can close your eyes. So imagine this. Imagine you're in Jesus' time. Back in the day, thousands of years ago. You're a fisherman, a normal person a tradesman, living, fishing for your family, living a normal life. You get called by this teacher named Jesus. He's an intriguing man who you're almost irresistibly drawn to. The mystery, the honor that he calls you, the sense of something being otherworldly about this guy. You become his disciple and you are there as an eyewitness to the miracles, leprosy being healed. You were there when you heard Jesus call out Lazarus from the grave. You were there with the crowds thronging around him. You were there when you, when you saw firsthand the bread multiply and thousands and thousands of men, women and children be fed. You were there in the garden when all of your dreams and security came crashing down as your boss, your teacher, was arrested. You witnessed Jesus get whipped, 
beaten, bruised, beard ripped out, your heart in absolute anguish. You saw him there on the cross, dying a criminal's death. Those three years of absolute joy, purpose, this is too good to be true. And in that moment you realised it was too good to be true because now he was dead. You saw him dead on, on, on that cross, laid to rest in a tomb. And just like one three-year bad dream, you go back to fishing wondering what the heck was all that about. But then you remember that distinct time when you saw Mary running down the road screaming, he's alive, he's alive. Then you see him with your own eyes. You feel the holes in his side, in his fingers, in his, in his wrists. You run your hand over his dimpled skin which had been lashed from the, the whippings. Jesus is alive. The mystery has been revealed. He is the Messiah. You were there for 40 days with him as you spoke about the kingdom. And then you were with him. As he's talking to you, he begins to levitate, to rise up on the clouds. You watched a man enter into the heavens until you could see him no more. Open up your eyes. At that point, what changed for the disciples? after Jesus had ascended to the Father, what had changed in terms of their relationship with Jesus? He'd just left the earth. What had changed? Had anything changed? Possibly. In that, in that moment, Possibly. He did tell them that, that he, they wouldn't leave them as, as orphans, but I'm sure they were like, our master's leaving us. But in terms of their relationship with him, in terms of, um, it wasn't like he had died. I would propose to you that in terms of their relationship, the only transition that had taken place was going from a face-to-face relationship where you can talk person to person to a phone call relationship where you can talk over the phone. You just couldn't see them in person. But they still had access to Jesus. Yes, by the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, etc. But fundamentally, my point is this. Nothing changed. It wasn't like he... He evaporated into a spirit. No, right now there's a man in the Godhead. Jesus ascended as a man, as God, to heaven. So the concept for the disciples of prayer was like talking to Jesus for the three years that they had with him, but now he's just with the Father. So now when you see when when Peter prays for for someone, he's talking to his mate Jesus who he hung out with, who he he camped out with on the road for three years. Sometimes I feel like we we get um, caught up in this religious idea of prayer apart from this conversation with a person called Jesus. I feel like the incarnation of Christ, that means when God put on flesh and dwelt amongst us. When God um, became a man is such a key for us to understand prayer. It's such a key for us. So why is the incarnation 
important for our prayer life? Okay. Point number one. Now we can relate to God and see Him clearly. This is really important. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 talks about how in times past, God spoke through the, through the prophets. And, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. There's so many ideas about what God's like, particularly in the Old Testament. It's like looking through a stained glass window. You're kind of like, I can see the outline of something, but I can't quite see its substance. The Bible says that the substance belongs to Christ. Okay? This is important because we can relate to a human. And when we relate to God through a revelation of Christ walking as a man, we have an access point of a person who isn't unfamiliar with humanity. He's not unfamiliar with our humanness. Jesus becomes one of us. He bridges the gap. The second point that I want to draw on, again, just touching on, the, on, the, on the, um, the incarnation as a key to your prayer life, is that Jesus came to earth to fulfill the law and to bring in the new covenant. So what, what does the new covenant and the law have to do with prayer? It has so much to do with prayer. Because you know what, I could tell you stories, I could... You know, Ruth and I, and we will give you kind of tips and tools and equip you in how to pray. But I'll, I'll tell you a little secret. I've read lots of books on prayer, been to lots of prayer meetings, but the most important thing that has fueled my ability to engage with God consistently in prayer isn't a tool or a method but it's a revelation of who God is and what the cross accomplished that's flat out the most sustaining contributor to a healthy prayer life the times when I haven't been prayerful are the times when I've slipped into what Paul would describe as like a yoke of um, bondage or religion, okay? The times when my prayer life has been effervescent and engaging and communion with God is a time when I have been engaging in the realities of the new covenant. You with me? Let me explain. The old covenant was put in place in terms of the law, you know, um, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, Moses. The Bible teaches us that the law has a role to expose the sin in our life, okay? It, 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 it tells us that we don't measure up to God's standard. Let me illustrate. Our Father... He's driving with his son through the Swiss Alps in summertime. And the son says to the dad, Dad, look, the sheep, the wool is so bright, it is so fresh, the wool is so, um, so white. Yes, son, the father says, it is quite white. <laughs> After their time in summer, 
they're driving back through wintertime and the Alps are all now covered in snow. The son says to the father, look, dad, those sheep are different to the last sheep. Their wool is actually quite a brownie kind of like white color. And the, son, the father says, well, actually, son, it's the same sheep. It's just being compared to the white snow on the freshly fallen snow on the mountain. Point is, the law reveals God's righteousness and our inability to live up to that. Okay? The purpose of the law is to tell us that we are sinners. We need salvation. We need to get born again. But the Bible says that the law is perfect and the law is good if you use it lawfully. All right. The purpose of the law is to reveal that you and me, we need a savior. We need Jesus to set us free from the issue of sin in our lives. Okay? That's important. Once you get born again, Jesus says you're not under law, but under grace. Romans 6, he says, sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace, you're under a new covenant. Do you get this? You're not under the law anymore if you are in Christ. Now, this is really important. This was me for years. You're either living in rebellion, it's unbeliever, living in sin, or living in religion, which is under the law, or you're living as a son. Unbeliever, rebellion, religion, which is like the older brother and the prodigal son, or you're living in the sonship revelation. So for me, I was living as, for years, as the religious older brother, living in religion, living under, as a Christian, but with an old covenant law mindset, okay? What does that look like? When the teachers said to Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest of all the law, the old covenant? What's the greatest of all the old covenant? What did he say? Remember? And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, these are like the cream of the crop that summarize the old covenant. Is it still in the old covenant? Yes, it is. Think about it. Who is the focus on? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your might. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. The focus is still on me and my ability, isn't it? It still begins with me. Now, the problem with that is me. (laughs) I'm the problem with that. I have an inability to reach God's righteous standard through my own abilities. Okay? You still fall short. This was me for years, guys. I'd pray for like a week, and I'm like praying, and I'm like, this is awesome. Going to the prayer meeting. Right? And I'm like, and I build on the momentum of that, and then I'm like, Maybe get discouraged or I might slip up and sin and I'm down again and I'm like beating myself up again and then I'm up again and I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I've got to go to, go to a conference or go to, you know, discipleship training week and I'm like, oh, I'm up again, you know, and I'm down again. And on this literally, this roller coaster ride with the central theme of me and my ability. It's tiring. It's tiring. And you get really zealous then you slip up, or then you get distracted, or then there's, there's this girl, there's this boy, and then there's whatever, because you are still at the center. But Jesus didn't come to rebrand the old covenant, he came to fulfill it and bring in the new covenant. With a new covenant, there must be a new law. So what's the new law for the new covenant? John 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, just as I have loved you, love one another.
Do you get it? Just as I have loved you. Where does it begin? With me or with Jesus? It begins with Jesus. It begins with Jesus. John also says in 1 John 4, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. You see, the old covenant begins with you climbing the ladder of the law to get to God, which is futile. You were not supposed to be able to fix yourself. That's why we need a saviour. Jesus descended the ladder, became a man, fulfilled the law, that if you would believe in him by faith, you have full access to God by grace. Okay? This is big, guys. If you get this, it will, it will fuel your prayer life because if you sin, you won't run from God. I screwed up again. You'll run to God. There's a, there's a, the religious son says, Oh, crap, I screwed up. Run away from dad. But the spirit-led son says, oh, crap, I screwed up. Where's my dad? I'm telling you, in that moment, no like, you know, prayer tool will help you unless you have a revelation of the Father, which is the central theme of the new covenant. This has changed my life, guys. Because it, it changes your view of the Father. Or it, for me, it changed my view of the Father. I'm not trying to impress God anymore. The problem is, if, you know, if I do get up early and I pray, man, I can get, I can get prideful, man. You like, think you're like some holier-than-thou Christian compared to other people, you know, it can lead to, to pride or it can lead to the opposite. It's just too hard. I've tried that. didn't work. Compared to when you're in that place of receiving the love of the Father, letting Him love you in your weakness, letting His opinion about you be greater than any opinion of the world. That will mold you and shape you and empower you to live a holy and righteous life in communion with God in every area of your life. And you will live in a continual place of relation, just like the disciples. Like I, was, I shared before, you, you wouldn't have to sit down with Peter and say, Peter, like, you'd say, what's it like to be with Jesus? You wouldn't say, you know, give me a tool. You know, it's like, it's like me, someone saying to Ruth, you know, in a relationship, I just want to hang out with her. I, I want to be with her, you know. That's just because there's love, there's connection. You go from, I should read my Bible, I should pray, I should put into practice what I learned at, at uh, DTW. I should give at church. It's, the motivation's right, but the, but the application is wrong. You want more of God, but the, the way that you get there isn't through your own ability. You stop, stop. Receive the love of God. Become aware of your acceptance. The only thing that fully satisfies God and his righteous requirement is his son. When you put your faith in him, you inherit the fruit of the finished work of the cross. I want to just pause for a moment just to get some application in here. This afternoon we're going to be focusing on more application and we're going to do some more, more journaling, but I'll just touch on a little bit here. I want you to 
use your, your, your notepads or your phones, whatever, you, whatever you're using. And I want to just orientate you with a practice of receiving as you begin to commune with God. The first thing that I do before I come, as I come before God and become aware of his presence is I open up my heart to receive. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin, the wages. How do you get a wage? You work. You work. So the whole ecosystem of sin, the ecosystem of religion is about you doing something, right? I'm not talking about good work, that's, that's a different thing. That, that comes from a place of acceptance and then you want to do it from a good, a good motivation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do you receive a gift? Well, you receive it, don't you? It's kind of a silly question. The gift of God has to be received. So the posture of your heart coming before God must be one of humility, saying, God... I receive your love, right? You cannot give what you first have not received. The prerequisite of the command of the new covenant is just as I have loved you. Does that make sense? I've shared this before. I might even shared it at church camp, I forget, but a few times I've shared it. If I said to Ruth, I can pick on you because I'm married to you. Hey, Ruth, um, you know, you know that poem I shared this morning with you in the car on the way up here? Um, can you just quote that poem that I was sharing with you, please? I can't. Babe, I thought you loved me. Like, I was sharing my heart with you, intimate, you know, my journal and my thoughts, and you didn't listen? Oh, my gosh, how embarrassing. If you love me, you'd obey my commands. Tell the, tell the poem, Ruth. Oh, no. Now, is that fair for me to do that with Ruth if I didn't first give her the poem? I didn't give her the poem. I didn't tell her the poem. So listen to this. Listen. I'm asking her to do something that I haven't given her the ability to do. Okay? You cannot live in the new covenant unless you have received the love of God. Just as I have loved you, says Jesus, love one another. Love one another just as I've loved you. You must receive the love of God for yourself and that will orientate you when you receive the unfiltered overwhelming love of God it will des- it will compel you to live a life of a prayer so I want you just to journal just for like literally two minutes and I want you to receive God's love song for you now a little tip if this is like too much for you write in first person the most encouraging letter to yourself. All right? Just literally encourage yourself. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be the Lord, right? But it very well might be. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit is the most encouraging person you will ever meet. He is so encouraging. He's so uplifting. He's so dislike loving and affirming and uplifting. So I want you to do that. Write. You'd say, Corey, I love you. I'm so proud. You'd you'd write that, right? Receive the love of God, right? Even if you're like, oh, what would God say? Just literally try and encourage yourself if if that freaks you out, right? And and I guarantee if if it's edifying, uplifting, encouraging, the chances are, Even if it's not the words of God, God thinks that about you. Okay? Do that for like two minutes. Off you go.
give it a shot. How does the Father think about you? About 30 seconds more. I want you to wrap up there. You can, you can finish off later. But before we continue, I want you just to stop and read what you've written and just mull over it. Just read and reflect on what you've written. I want to ask you a question. You can look up, you can continue the activity later on, maybe this afternoon. How easy was that for you to do that? Did it feel uncomfortable or comfortable or what did it feel like? Writing, writing out that. Did, did things flow really easily for you? What, what did you guys think? Easier than you expected? Uh-huh. Did you know that God doesn't just do love, he is love. When someone loves you, it feels like something, doesn't it? If someone like, if Scotty just like baked me or cooked me some massive chunk of meat and did it like Scotty style, this is delicious. I, it, it elicits a 
feeling in, of like, oh, Scotty, thank you. And if, you, know, you feel something. Do you know what I mean? If someone says something to you that just, someone that you admire, and they just say, admonish you and call you out and say, I love you, or you're awesome, or just, and you're like, it, it comes with a feeling, doesn't it? It's like, oh, wow, you feel something in here. It isn't just kind of like a, a intellectual click, oh, I feel love right now. That is love. It, it actually comes with a sense of emotion and soul. Would you agree? God is love. So I want to say that the degree that you can actually be comfortable sitting under the fire hydrant of God, who is love, and having that wash over you, because sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll do that exercise and I'll just wait on God and write out what I feel like the Father's saying about me. And it's like, this is just too much. God, you've got like, you've just, you're not seeing clearly, God. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, because it's like, we are so quick, aren't we, to be reminded of our shortcomings, aren't we? The times when we missed it. When God says this, but then you're reminded of that. Do you want, can you relate to that? It's like, oh, gee, this is like, oh, really? Guys, God isn't winking at your sin and saying, I don't, I don't know. He, he sent his son and Jesus died the most horrific death because he hates sin. But he did it while you were still sinning. Why? Because his love isn't connected to your behavior. That's a revelation right there. His love for you isn't connected to your behavior. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to change. Not at all. He realizes that when you are connected to the life source of love and surrendered to that, you will change. The goodness of God leads a man to repent, the Bible says. Who's seen Les Mis? The story, Les Miserables, Ruth, my wife's favorite story. She loves it. It's a picture of grace. It's a picture of this guy, if you haven't read or watched the movie, you should watch it. It's a picture of, beautiful picture of grace. I get all the names, Jean Valjean, or all these kind of French names, I forget. But essentially, a butcher version of the story is, is, is a criminal man. He um, goes in and he, he, he stays at this pastor's house, essentially. And this, this, this pastor offers him food and board and, and, and love to him. And even though he gave him grace, he still, this um, thief guy takes all of the silverware and runs away, right? And in, in this era, that's like a, a death sentence or going back to prison or what have you. And there's this, this scene at the beginning of the movie where there's this, the, the vicar, the pastor who represents Christ. And then there's the law, which is there, which is like um, the, the um, police officer. And he drags this guy forward back to the, to the priest and says, this guy's stolen all of your stuff. And the priest guy says, oh, you've forgotten, you've forgotten stuff. And he actually goes and gives him more stuff, <laughs> alluding to the fact that he was giving this stuff to this guy. And the, officers, he, the officer knows what's going on, but grace is being exchanged in this moment. Wow. And it's just like, you watch that and you're like, I feel, just the gospel goes, boom. What you deserve, you didn't get, that's mercy. But then grace comes and gives you more stuff in the midst of your brokenness. That's that exchange. That's the gospel. That's the creamy middle bit that's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Compare that to, I should pray. <laughs> oh my gosh, I should pray. <laughs> I really should spend time with Jesus this week. Oh my gosh, once you've been in the river of grace, that's like a stinking puddle of religion. 
All I did with Deb was for a moment put my heart on, on Deb with God's heart. And God's like, oh, God knew a better day tomorrow. And I became available just for that one day. Just one day I listened to God. And it's transformed my business. Oh my gosh, why don't I do that every day? Ruth tells me to, but I always kind of like get busy doing stuff, right? River of grace, this river of love transforms, brings life. But we're so often content waiting in the cesspool of religion, man-made religion, full of shoulds. rather than looking into the face of Jesus, receiving grace and receiving truth. Man, sometimes God will just slap you, hey. I'm not saying God's just going to like just, you know, lovey-dovey in terms of without substance. But he will always hold you accountable to your destiny. He won't just condemn you for your history. He loves you far too much for you to stay in your sin. But he realizes that the root of your sin is the absence of love. Bible says that the power of sin is the law. When you realize that Christ has set you free from the law, that he loves you in spite of your weaknesses, sin falls off like dead skin. It's gross and disgusting. But under shame and guilt and condemnation, it's like this festery band-aid that not a band-aid, it's a bad description, but this thing that kind of holds all the moisture in and makes it get gangrenous, you know? Whereas the grace of God just brings in life, healing, taking off the shame. Okay, now... I want you to write again, but this time you're going to put your heart in the river of grace and think about someone else. They may be in the room, they may not be in the room. You don't even have to share this with them. It's not like a trick where it's like, now write what God says about the person next to you and then tell them. No, I'm not going to say that. You can, you could, it could be your mom. It could be... You don't even need to share it with them. But what will happen is you've got to get God's perspective of that person. Okay? So ask the Lord, someone, whoever comes into your head, essentially, and I want you to write, ask the question, God, how do you see this person? And then write from the perspective of God to that person. Again, God may say for you to share it. He, he, he may say not to share it. He may just give you insights into that person. I'll give you an example. When I started a new job, I was up in Darwin. I was managing a housing and homelessness program. Before I started the job, I've got the names. I had, I had uh, four people working for me. I was a manager. I had a team of four people, four girls. And I remember I, before I knew all the ins and outs of their personalities and how they work, I waited on God and I wrote a paragraph into each of what I felt like the Lord says about them. You know what? That guided me into how to manage them, how to love them well. Even with, even with Deb, God's given me, I haven't told her this, I won't even share this with you, it's personal, but God's shown me in terms of the way that he sees her, how she best receives love, how, how, how God sees her how to best unlock her. And when you do that, you get to see people the way that God sees people. And that is, just as I've loved you, love others. New covenant key, right? 
So do that. Think of someone and write how you feel or how God feels about them. Yeah? Give you two minutes. Just 30 seconds or so. Hold it there. Christian community, healthy Christian community, is a community where people see each other as Christ sees them. You know that you can do this exact process to that person who really rubs up against you at work or maybe at home church, wherever, when you can begin to see that person the way that God sees that person, it unlocks. It's, it's absolutely, an, it's a hack on life. I heard, I think it was Philip Yancey or someone smart preacher <laughs> tells the story of father in a, I think it was a bus or a train, you might have heard the story, and let's just say it was a train and He's got a few young kids and the kids are running around raucous in the train. And, you know, people are looking around and they're, they're noisy and they're making a mess. And there's kind of this like collective frustration in the carriage for this father who's just staring at the window kind of dazed and his kids are like out of control. And one of the people in the train says, excuse me, sir, can you please control your children? And he kind of snaps out of it. Oh, he goes, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. He said, I've just come from my wife's funeral and I'm wondering how I'm going to get through this. And it's like the whole carriage just like pivoted from frustration to compassion. And they're like, oh, here, come play with me. Here's some snacks. And the whole thing pivoted. Why? Because the perspective changed. So, oh, no wonder the kids are unruly because they had insight. And if you can have the Lord's insight into people and situations and why they behave that way and the Lord's love the Lord loves them we get to what does it say what does it say new covenant just as we have been loved by God 
we're positioned to love others. And from that place, communion and hearing God's voice and prayer, it's all just a byproduct. It's all fruit from the root that's been established of communion with God. But I'm telling you, if you think about the fruit or the desire, if you desire to have the fruit of a good prayer life outside of a revelation of the grace of God and the foundation of who God is, you will be frustrated. You will be inconsistent. So now for me, I tell you, like I can, I can go periods of time without studying the scriptures or praying and that grieves me because I know that this is, this is life, this is a life source. But now I know how to orientate myself towards the Father in a new covenant mindset. I don't should on myself. <laughs> I repent. That means change my mind. Say, Father, I'm genuinely sorry for not prioritizing your word, my relationship. God, you are the life source for me. I need you, God, and I'm sorry. I repent for not demonstrating that, for not living out that value for me. God, I'm so excited. I know you've got so much for me, Father. And I look forward to hanging out with you this week. I know that you can't wait to share things about my life and family and business. And it's, it's drawing me in from a place of love and acceptance, not condemning me from, oh, gee whiz, I haven't prayed all week. Oh, my gosh, I need to. And then there's this place of distance that I need to claw back, trying to get back to that place. And forgetting that that place is just a perspective of faith. Powerful. It's really powerful. I want to pray as we close and then we'll have some morning tea. Heavenly Father, I just I ask you that we would be a people that know you. We would be a generation formed in prayer, as Shane has spoken about. That we would know you, Jesus. We wouldn't have our, our faith in our prayers or our faith in our ability to do anything, but our faith would be in the finished work of the cross. That Jesus, you have declared it is finished. Your grace is sufficient for us. The love of God. And Lord, I pray that this, th- those words, Lord, of 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 love and affirmation from the Father that each person here has written out. I pray that they would, or we would, believe what you have to say about us. That we would be comfortable with love. That vulnerability, that, that sense of openness, that we'd be comfortable to receive your love. To receive your grace. To receive, Father, from you, the gift of eternal life. Help us to be receivers with a big fat funnel over our heads to receive the love of God so that we can have something to give to a world so desperately in need of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anyone glad they came today? Thank you, Dave. I've got um, some sheets of paper here. Most of you have got it on your table as well. If you've got any questions from that session, ones you've written down or ones that just come to mind, I encourage you to write them down and you can give them uh, to Dave during morning tea time. We've got half an hour now 
So we'll be back for our next session at 11 o'clock. Um, but if you've got questions, we just want to have a bit of a chance to address, uh, at least give a chance to ask those and, and yeah, be able to, to speak into questions that you have. Um, oh, what a privilege, hey? Like, what a privilege to know who we are. Um, anyone got a favourite quote from that session they want to yell out? Or a favourite concept? Doesn't need to be a direct quote. root of sin is the absence of love. Yeah, wow. Sorry, one more time. Yeah. Amen. Let's receive, hey? <laughs> so we can give. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for taking on that, us through that process. It's a really powerful process. Because, yeah, often you hear stuff and it doesn't quite connect. Um, but the process just helped that connect, so thank you. There was something that I remember Andre, who heads up YWAM here, saying a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how you can, you know, run um, the opposite direction to God. It's like I'm just, I'm going headlong, and you've made that decision to run away. And like if you were here, um, say this represented God, this building here, and you're just like running. Like maybe you get to manor, Maybe you get to um, Wollonga, Victor Harbour, Antarctica, I don't know. But wherever you get to, it's like, oh, man, I've got all that distance to reclaim. No, you don't. <laughs> you run away from God, like draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You don't need to bridge that gap. And you were hitting that up at the end. Like we don't need to bridge whatever gap we feel like we've created between us and God. Like you turn to him and, oh, wow, you're right there. You know, it's not the prodigal son of having to make that trek from the pigsty back to the family farm. It's just to repent. It's just to turn. Like, oh, wow, you're there. Like, you tracked with me and you're right there. Hallelujah, hey? Let's bask in that.